Welcome to the Road Home Podcast. My name's Jasmine and I'm the Housing Program Associate at the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans, where it is our mission to end veteran homelessness. Join us here each week as we highlight new or innovative developments or housing practices that provide housing options for veterans exiting homelessness. We want to take this time to thank the Home Depot Foundation for sponsoring this podcast and for supporting veterans housing initiatives throughout the country. The Home Depot Foundation works to improve the homes and lives of U.S. veterans, train skilled tradespeople to fill the labor gap, and support communities impacted by natural disasters. Since 2011, the foundation has invested nearly $350 million in veteran causes and improved more than 47,000 veteran homes and facilities in 4,500 cities. For nearly a decade, the Home Depot Foundation has supported NCHV in its mission to increase housing opportunities for veterans and to combat veteran homelessness in America. We will be highlighting some of their work as we talk about various affordable housing developments throughout this series. If you would like to learn more about the Home Depot Foundation, visit homedepotfoundation.org or search Home Depot Foundation on social media. All right, you guys, the theme for this episode is housing authorities and housing vouchers. So this episode is kind of a two-parter. Um, and this week we're talking to Peter Ragsdale, who's the executive director for the housing authority of the county of San Joaquin. Um, and we'll talk about this amazing property that they're doing um, in that area by the name of Victory Gardens. But first, I know you probably had some lingering questions about housing vouchers. And honestly, who doesn't? Um, but we talked about them a little bit throughout the series in the context of developers seeking them and also developers successfully using them to offset long-term financing for affordable housing. But what we haven't really talked about is a housing authority perspective, um, both when it comes to vouchers and then developing affordable housing in general. So first, we're going to get into a discussion on vouchers and the housing authority and how the housing authority makes the best use of the voucher allocations. Um, you'll certainly walk away thinking the housing authority has multiple roles that we weren't previously considering. Maybe you would think of the housing authority as developers and also very viable, very good partners for housing development, not just facilitators for this type of work. Now, the truth is housing authority needs are important too, and they should not be competing with affordable housing developers or localities. And then we need to be looking for more opportunities to partner, and it has to be a two-way street, especially when they have something on the table to contribute to the development, such as buildings, land, other sources of capital. And I hope that our housing authority listeners will hear this example and think of ways to become more aggressive in their work to end veteran homelessness. We're also going to get into some discussion on practices and possibilities when it comes to veterans accessing um, existing housing stock. And we'll discuss incentives and working with landlords. And then we'll get into a question of chasing rising rents or the concepts um, and looking at opportunities for building new housing. Um, What makes for better use of funding, both public and private sources, and also a better use of vouchers. 
Then we're going to be talking about their new development, Victory Gardens. Now, Victory Gardens will be 49 units of deeply affordable housing, all targeted to veterans exiting homelessness. The Housing Authority will contribute rental assistance funds through HUD BASH and also project-based housing choice vouchers. The project's slated to open in fall 2022. And in addition to providing affordable housing, the property will include amenities like a community garden, a common area for socializing, and a computer room. Now, the development's located near San Joaquin General Hospital. It's located along public transportation routes and is very close to the VA community-based outpatient clinic, which is currently under construction. Victory Gardens aims to improve the quality of life for homeless veterans who have struggled with issues of mental health, substance abuse, and homelessness since leaving the military service. We have a ton to talk about, you guys, so let's dive in. I'm Peter Ragsdale. I'm the executive director of the Housing Authority of the County of San Joaquin. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, And will you just briefly explain, our listeners will be familiar with what the Housing Authority's roles are, but I guess your role within the Housing Authority and then how you guys may work in the community with affordable housing programs or um, homeless services. You know, it's interesting. Um, So I came to California from New York. I spent 20 years in upstate New York, uh, another housing authority. And so I've spent my entire career in affordable housing. And, you know, I believe in 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 public housing and its mission and uh, uh, the value of rental assistance and how that sort of accelerates um, uh, affordability by by having access to private apartments as well. But uh, there's definitely more need than there is supply. And certainly working in California around affordable housing, I mean, this is ground zero for the crisis. And uh, it's it's just amazing that um, while there's more voucher assistance in California and more public housing back east, um, it's 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 sort of a, a really tough situation that it's expensive to construct and rehab in California. And we done nothing in my five years, but seen rents rise, especially we're Bay Area adjacent. So to say that the nine Bay Area counties are um, essentially touching uh, San Joaquin County, Contra Costa County, Alameda County, and um, thousands of people drive every day uh, into into the Bay Area for work and then come back. And we have uh, folks that are um, fleeing the Bay Area rents, you know, coming to San Joaquin County and, um, you know, driving up, driving up prices. And the Valley has sort of had a lack of production for any number of reasons. And um, it's really a tough, uh, really a tough rental market for affordability. And it's really, really tough to build in California. Right. With everything going on right now, obviously, with a lot of stuff uh, surrounding COVID and then also the Black Lives Matter movement and just inequalities and stuff, I feel like so much more attention is being paid to housing costs and, you know, um, accessibility and where what neighborhoods they exist in. But it's interesting you mentioned like the ripple effect almost of just because you're not in the epicenter of the highest cost market, you are definitely affected by their lack of rental housing and lack of affordable housing. And then it just kind of pushes out from that center and sort of affects everything around it. So that's an interesting point. I wasn't as familiar, I guess, where the county actually lied in relation to um, what would be considered downtown San Francisco, I guess. That's Um, 70 miles, 75 miles as the crow flies. But uh, that's a you could be in San Francisco in an hour and 20 minutes with no traffic. But what what would normal non pandemic traffic be? It could be a three hour commute uh, each way. And there's a lot of people, sadly, that do it. 
where they need the Bay Area wage to, to, to survive and um, have to spend six hours a day in a car to have a place that they can afford to live. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, that is absolutely crazy. I know definitely San Francisco and that area of the Bay Area and stuff comes with its own challenges, but affordability and, and housing availability is something that we're all seeing, you know, huge need for. And also realizing that uh, supply does not meet the level of demand. Um, so you mentioned a little bit about um, assistance programs and then also public housing and some, uh, you know, subsidized construction. I want to specifically talk about vouchers and voucher usability um, because our, our series has focused a lot on the HUD-VASH program and then mm -hmm. also, um, you know, a veteran's preference for other uh, units and also tenant programs um, when VASH is not available or the veteran doesn't qualify for HUD-VASH. So I guess just to get it out the way and because our, our listeners will be more familiar with project-based vouchers, um, if you could just briefly touch on why someone, a developer, would want project-based vouchers and then also if I realize I'm going to, you know, build a, a property, what does the process actually look like to secure project-based vouchers for my property? Understood. I So conditions on the ground are unique. So, you know, I, I can speak reasonably intelligent about the two, two geographic regions that I worked in. Um, but um, housing choice voucher money is allocated to a housing authority sort of as, as a block. And... HUD requires us to do two things, either lease up all of the vouchers in terms of there's a, a, a finite number of vouchers. Let's just say for the housing authority in San Joaquin County, it's around 5,100. That's special needs vouchers, uh, VASH, mainstream, uh, FUP, and our regular housing choice voucher account. And HUD gives you a certain amount of money to, um, to utilize those vouchers. They want you to use all of the money or hit your voucher limit. Nobody hits their voucher limit because the mathematics of funding each voucher doesn't meet the actual cost of putting a person and a family into a unit. So um, we, we have opportunities, HUD aggregates that money, we have opportunities to pick and choose where we want to apply for new resources, but generally um, the appropriations to, to Congress from, from HUD never actually meet the full need of saying, if nationally there's 2 million vouchers, and I'll use a round number, I don't know off the top of my head, there's 200,000 VASH. HUD knows when they make the request to Congress that they're not going to meet either of those numbers. They're going to do the best they can to um, get as much utilization of, of that total number as they can based on the actual cost of putting somebody in there. So... When we apply for VASH and we've aggressively applied for additional VASH, we get an upfront grant of additional money. So if we get in 100 new VASH vouchers, we'll get some more money, at which point next year it all gets aggregated into the pie and putting a, putting a veteran in a VASH voucher comes out of the same money as a regular housing choice voucher. And a tenant-based voucher and a project-based voucher also come out of the same allotment of money. So why a developer will want project-based VASH? It's our project-based rental assistance period. It's a contract. So for a period certain, they know they're going to get a certain rent um, for that apartment that is financeable. And in California, not the case in, in, in New York, but in California, um, because 9% tax credit equity is so oversubscribed, for projects with rental subsidy, 
and not necessarily special needs project, but generally um, an affordable housing development will have a mortgage and the state can easily calculate, well, hey, if this is where your rents are because of that rent subsidy, section eight overhang, they call it, that you can afford to pay a $2 million mortgage and they loan size for your project based on what they think your revenue will be. And they stretch tax credits to do more deals. So, I mean, that does make sense and it's good public policy. But it is a period certain that that affordable developer can finance um, debt on their property. And um, they also know because of the subsidy, they're going to have um, high demand because that deep affordability obviously is attractive to folks that need it. And like I said, we, we agreed that there's way more need than there is supply. So um, it pretty much is a guarantee of full occupancy. So you get the backstop of 70% of your money that you can count on for that unit. And you have cash flow because the programs allow you to, you know, essentially get a check from, from uh, a housing authority for whatever units you've got at roughly 70% of the rent. And uh, there's vacancy loss opportunities, et cetera. So it is a financeable sort, uh, a financeable source of capital with which to develop affordable housing. Hmm. It's almost like a win-win for the housing authority and also the developer. Um, so one question but, immediately comes to mind is like in a market where maybe you just have less housing availability period, right? Where a tenant-based voucher might be extremely hard to use because of the lack of supply of affordable housing. Wouldn't or why can't a housing authority just decide to project base larger shares of their vouchers? Isn't there a limit, like an absolute limit of what percent can be project-based and also geographic limitations of like, hey, if this developer wants to knock out whole three whole blocks in this city and build, you know, a thousand units, why can't we just project-based all of our vouchers there? Isn't there some sort of limitation on what can be like the density of the vouchers allocation? There is, but there's a couple of assumptions you're making. Many housing authorities are very effective affordable housing developers. So mm -hmm. um, there, there's an assumption there that housing authorities aren't developers, housing authorities in many cases are developers. So what I think is interesting is that if, if we're candid, um, you know, private or even nonprofit, this is, this is a revenue-based business, right? I mean, we're capitalists and we understand people, there's certainly a, a mission-driven um, uh, reason to build affordable and then especially for special needs population like veterans. But the reality is, you know, people develop multifamily housing for, for, for developer fees. So. Right. Housing authorities, in the, in the case of San Joaquin County, um, you're right that there's a 20% limit on project basing of regular housing choice vouchers with a 10% additionally for special needs. But um, we're in a case where we have 80-year-old um, public housing units that um, we've started to redevelop. And part of the way we're going to reposition our federal public housing, which is 100% occupied and serves families today, but a two by four stick building in the Central Valley of California with very little insulation in the walls. HUD does not fund us to say, hey, we're going to give you enough money to reposition these properties, knock them down and, and start over. So mm -hmm. part of our ability to reposition our assets that we already own are rental assistance because the subsidy of vouchers is higher than ACC or public housing subsidy. So we use this resource in our own deals. And what's ironic is that we compete with affordable and for-profit developers for funding to do projects that the cities and or county determine where they decide 
where they'd like to put their affordable housing dollars and what their priorities are. So sometimes the assumption is, is that housing authorities should commit resources to projects simply because somebody asks, when internally we have our own business model and projects and assets to reposition, and we compete with those same folks. There's no set-asides in, in most communities when housing authorities want uh, need you know additional gap financing for projects. So ironically, I think the assumption is the private market. We already have private market equity, but as far as affordable developers, well, I'm seeing you. We can do it just as well as everybody else. So um, I think that uh, there are some very entrepreneurial folks at housing authorities that are phenomenal developers. And um, you know, I had the I had the benefit of working for somebody for 20 years that um, you know did thousands of units. And um, so we've um, we've repositioned uh, two phases of one of our large public housing pro properties in Stockton. And um, we're doing it faster than than other affordable developers. We have entitled land with with infrastructure and um, we have some of the resources around vouchers that that make um, make our projects go. And because we're government, if we earn developer fees, we just do more deals. So um, I think the assumption is housing authorities can be very effective developers, and uh, that's that's the case uh, nationally. Right. Well, actually, that's a very interesting point, and I, I hope our listeners are hearing it the way I'm hearing it, is that housing authorities make good partners, and also not to think of them as like competition with, but how can we all work together? Is there a way to? And if not, it maybe is it just smarter for the best person fit to do the job? Um, because I, I don't think that's a situation in every area where there is that much competition between the developers, the housing authority, and the localities that maybe have um, federal financing. In some areas, like developers have so much trouble securing any of this stuff just because I guess making the deals happen is is hard. And also the housing authority doesn't have as much resources on hand outside of the vouchers. Like you guys are in a unique position because you do have public housing and you do own land um, and you've already done development deals. But some of the ones we talk to, they don't even have a housing stock that they actively manage or own. You know what I mean? So sure, 100%, 100%. In areas um, where, where housing authorities are in position like you guys are, then definitely I think the room for partnership or even just to bring veteran concerns to the table when there is that period of public comment or something that so that the housing authority kind of sees the need that they maybe can't deliver themselves. You know what I mean? I, I um, do indeed. And I would but I would say two things that just as a as a small point, but I'm going to just I, I feel it's important is when you say developers include housing authorities because we are. That just yeah. just as by way of definition. Secondly, you're right. There are agencies that either lack the internal capacity, um, but I would argue anyone that goes out because we competitively apply for VASH, I guarantee you those folks at housing authorities care about this population. And when approached as partners, and I agree, rather than coming in and saying, hey, we have this idea and this is where we want to put it. These are the terms we want to do it under. Engage with that housing authority and say, look, you know, we want to serve veterans and we know your VASH penetration is not great or better yet. How is your VASH penetration and does a project collaboratively make sense? And what would you like to see in that property and where in your community should it be? That's a different conversation than saying, hey, you know, we came up with this idea, you know, in a vacuum and we'd like some VASH. You right. know what I'm saying? I think that right. is a, a, a different conversation than saying um, we all agree that. There is an absolute mandate in this in this country to end veterans homelessness. But 
in our case, um, we had seen private developers talk about it, contemplate it when uh, they're putting up a new uh, 150,000 square foot Seabock uh, in French camp uh, adjacent to our property. We're saying, look, this is a natural nexus of housing and healthcare. So we have veterans in Stockton and San Joaquin County going to Palo Alto for the hospital. I'm saying to you, they've been working for many, many years, uh, our, our, our congressional delegation, on getting a larger VA clinic in, in San Joaquin County. Now that it's happening, it's like, hey, listen, we approached the county and said, this is a logical place to do um, a, a VASH and VHHP, which is uh, a state of California veterans homeless housing program, which uh, provided $6.8 million of, of additional capital towards our project. But this is not just, hey, we want to do a project to serve veterans. This is permanent supportive housing. And the exit, to your point, you mentioned about the relationship between VASH and regular housing choice vouchers, that's exactly right. We wanna see that veteran succeed in a community with supports, at which point you're right, when they don't need the intensive case management, they can transition to a housing choice voucher and take that, take that rental subsidy um, nationally. And you know, we're always concerned that that relationship that we have with that veteran through that continuum of housing, I think is unique. So I think again, approaching agencies um, in, a, in a collaborative way, I think is a much different conversation than saying, hey, you know, we'd like to tell you the time with your watch. Right. And I think that's such an interesting point. You know, everybody has their own language. When you talk to a housing authority, it's different than when you talk to a state finance agency, than sure. when you talk to service providers. So being flexible and realizing the way you have to approach people. We have all the same common goals in mind, but it's being able to translate and speak to people the way that they speak, but then also, you know, bringing everybody to the table and kind of seeing the work through, not just coming with ideas and asking for things, but like kind of, I guess, grouping together what our strengths are and approaching it that way. Um, but that is a very interesting point. One thing I want to um, circle back to, I guess, is the uh, the way that you guys think about your traditional housing choice voucher program is unique as well, because from our previous conversations, I know you guys prioritize veterans in your public housing programs, the things you operate and manage, um, and then also in your tenant-based voucher assistance that mm -hmm. is not BASH. So I, I'm curious, how did you guys come to that decision? Was it driven internally? Was it something, you know, how, how did you guys arrive at that, that decision? Uh, just, just for background, uh, 1998, the repeal of federal preferences, I said that fast, um, that was the CARA in 1998 that, that Clinton signed, allowed communities to create a preference and serve the populations that they felt, you know, was, was, um, you know, conditions on the ground in their communities. And, Again, I'm saying to you, if there is a more deserving population, I can't think of one. So veterans should be served um, based on that affordability um, as a priority. And uh, so the both both agencies that I've uh, been involved with, you know, have a veterans preference. Now, we have a geographic preference to say we serve residents of San Joaquin County. We serve disabled. We serve veterans and people come up with this sort of cumulative preference. So if you're a um, uh, you live in San Joaquin County, you're a veteran, and, um, you know, the date and time of your application, you're going to rise to the top. So if I'm applying from an adjacent community or from, from across the country, you can apply, but when we shake up the marbles, 
we're going to add those preference points to say we want to make sure that a disabled veteran who lives in San Joaquin County gets an apartment or a voucher first. So that, I think, is good public policy. I think we we understand that, um, you know, if it gets to a point and it's, it's an interesting conversation around VASH, because I had applied and gotten a number of VASH awards because um, to get our unit count up, because we knew that based on our point in time, as well as our uh, HMIS data, that there's, you know, 140, 135 to 140 either unsheltered or um, vets that are not stably housed. Um, I want to make sure everyone gets subsidy. So we applied for more VASH and got it. Then the private market says, hey, well, we have rising rents. You have a special needs tenant. The rising rents, the, the fair market rents, and then our voucher payment standards don't keep up with the rental market, which is exploding. So now we've gotten those vouchers, except that the private market doesn't want it. So the third, um, the third opportunity is, hey, we need to do a, a project exclusively for veterans in San Joaquin County. Uh, to meet this need. And we know we can take um, an active role, both the city of Stockton and the county of San Joaquin came together, collected and said, hey, we want to we want to eradicate veterans homelessness in five years. And that was our mandate to say, hey, you know, um, we're not going to talk about it. We're going to be about it and, and we're going to do a project. And, you know, we've gotten um, a VHHP award, which is the first one in the county. And um, we've gotten our nine percent tax credit allocation and we are on track to close and begin construction was super excited. And the beautiful thing of it is, is that will it meet every need? No. And I'm not even suggesting that I think maybe there are veterans that would like to opt in to a, a veterans community. I understand that may not be everybody, at which point, as you said, we do that balance where we keep a certain amount of our VASH allocation as TBV, so people have options, but we then are project basing uh, a certain number. Um, to make sure that I'm not completely uh, at the mercy of the private rental market where I have to chase by way of both cost and when people have options among renters, I would love to think, but we all realize that um, a homeless veteran, while deserving, doesn't always make the cut, I mean, in, in, a, in the private rental market. And that's the difference between affordable and permanent supportive housing, right? We know that... Um, our project is going to have, um, you know, millions of dollars of service delivery over its lifetime to keep people stably housed that need that assistance, need that extra support. And um, I think that's going to change the trajectory of, um, of, of folks that live there. And I know you're building up a lot of anticipation and I can't wait to talk about the project, but there's two things you said that I flagged and I want to circle All back right. to them really quick. And then I want to get to the project because that's like what our listeners really want to hear about and, you know, duplicate in their own communities. But before we move on, the the fair market rent concept, you mentioned that um, the cost for rentals outpaces the voucher allotment, you know. Yeah. Um, so I want to know outside of building new units. What are some of the other ways you can kind of address those challenges head on? What additional resources need to be available? You'd spoken a little bit about working with landlords on the private market. I want to know, um, obviously, if there's incentives that need to be made or, you know, additional funding that needs to be in place to further support tenant-based vouchers. What are they and what, what does that look like? Super question. And I'm glad you reminded me because we there is absolute it, it is common in California that if you have, you know, um, vouchers that you could lease up, but for the gap in what a voucher will pay versus what the rental market is demanding, 
And the reasonable, and I've had this conversation with some of the VA case managers to say, you know, they, they don't like the word, and I understand why, that we're not going to do like a damage mitigation fund. We're going to do a leasing incentive, right? To say a landlord who gets a lease incentive for taking uh, a VASH participant um, gets an upfront payment, uh, gets some support, and we make the economics of taking that VASH voucher into their apartment worthwhile. And look, I mean, we're talking in many cases, we're not talking about huge corporations with millions of apartments. We're talking about mom and pop owners. We're talking about small apartment complexes that people make these business decisions. So the fact that we can take the stability of the housing authority standing behind that check every month, and we do, then with additional community resources around a leasing incentive and whether we do a double security deposit and those types of things, whatever brings gets somebody to, to critical mass to accept that vet, we had applied uh, for funding to say that uh, if we had $400,000 in a pool of leasing incentives, in however you slice and dice it, we could pay that money back in like seven months by increasing our VASH utilization. And I think the Wall Street Journal had an article not that long ago that talked about, you know, nationally, all this unused VASH that was, you know, I think it was $11 million or something easily somebody could run that down. But the reality is HUD has made this program available. They are chasing, at least in California, they are chasing the rental market, which is challenging. Why don't communities say we are going to anchor that rental assistance and as well as the unbelievable relationship with the VA is that the housing authority does the, the rental business and the VA does the case management, and which is an absolute home run. But if that means the third leg of that stool is local resources to make sure those vouchers get used, to me, that makes common sense. So now, candidly, we're competing with lots of other fine projects around homelessness. And there's um, folks, unsheltered homeless families, people living in cars. I'm not I like to make the qualitative argument that veterans deserve consideration, and I do, but I, I would be hard pressed to, to go to uh, a, a family shelter and say, you know, you don't deserve help too. So I believe we all have to come to terms of the fact that um, in the richest country in the world, we need to put more money into rental assistance and, and, and housing development. But for us, We've made an advocate. We advocate for, for VASH. We believe in VASH. And we want to say, look, we've made this commitment. We've competed for these resources. Help us get it to critical mass and help. If, that, if, it, if it's a $2,000 check that a third party writes to get that veteran to utilize that VASH voucher, that's what we need. And it's heartbreaking. We can issue vouchers all the time. And, and, a, and a veteran is out there in the rental market saying, you know, will you take me? Will you take me? We want to make that economically um, more palatable for people that are, are making business decisions with their rental units. I think that I think there are people that would agree. We want to help that vet. But, you know, we, we have concerns. And um, I don't think it's it's unreasonable when people are making these decisions to say, yes, I want to be part of the solution, but I have to mitigate risk in my life. So I think these local resources, we'd like to make an argument that um, would increase fast utilization and are the right things to do. Right. Well, that brings up two points, actually, because working with the landlord is one thing and obviously hearing their challenges and addressing their needs while also still trying to provide for the individual's needs and, and you know, hearing their challenges but also an opportunity exists in that very scenario where if I'm a private business owner, or if I'm a private company, maybe a Fortune 500 company that wants to 
you know, further the the efforts to end veteran homelessness, but I don't necessarily want to be involved in a long-term financing deal or anything like that. What if I just made a $200,000 contribution to your pot of money for your landlord incentives and you guys can in turn break that up and kind of create some sort of agreement where it would go, um, you know, to further prop up the VASH program. I think that it sounds like an opportunity to me for multiple people's needs to be met and for people to become more involved that nece don't necessarily want to be involved in developing housing um, or directly lease to someone or rent to someone or, you know, build properties um, and making financial contributions to this type of support is maybe another avenue. Just I agree. You tell me who to call and I will. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's There's one thing. I hope our I listeners hear and it's like, look for these opportunities. There are a lot of companies that offer... Um, you know, competitive grant cycles, I guess, for different types of things. So is this maybe another avenue to apply for financing in a way that they don't have to be involved long term or to read uh, applications uh, over and over, you know? I think that's fantastic. I completely agree with you. And I have pitched this uh, this veterans project to philanthropy. I haven't been successful. But what I like to say is, you know, um, that it must be it's the New Yorker in me. I, I don't I just can't 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 uh, quit in the sense that I believe in this and every we have appealed every step of this project. We find a deficiency, we appeal, we win. So I, I am so passionate about getting, there's a geographic hole around a, a, a veterans community in San Joaquin County, um, two hours of the south of us in Fresno. I think they're on the third phase, you know, of, of, of VHHB VASH projects. And there's a um, a 75-unit um, property in Alameda County that's 50 miles west of here. And in, uh, up north in Sacramento County on a former Air Force base, um, they have, uh, I think they're completing their third phase. And when we went up to see this um, property in Sacramento, you know, we just, again, have this light. No, it's, I, I'd like to say it's a light bulb. I'm being unfair. It's more like a duh. Why aren't we doing this too? And Ironically, when you start to look at community resources to build these projects, um, this is a no-brainer. I'm saying to you, we have to do this. And, you know, again, um, I, I really felt that while um, there might be conversations that I'm not uh, a party to about what other people may be doing, I feel that um, if we pursue it directly uh, with our 501c3 development arm, um, I'm all in. I'm going to, you know... Um, be 100% committed to make it happen and we're finally there. Right. Well, now's the time. Let's talk about this development. Okay, so you guys have a property um, and I'm going to let you do the full introduction. I want our listeners to pay attention. It's amazing. So talk to me about it. The Victory Gardens property. Uh, this was a concept that was born in collaboration with uh, the County Administrator's Office and uh, general services there. We manage some agricultural housing uh, that's on the county hospital property. And the Veterans Administration bought 15 acres north of the hospital. I mean, these are all sort of fairly, uh, these are contiguous, but maybe it's a quarter mile from our site, where they are putting up this 150,000 square foot, give or take, and I'm, I'm doing this from memory, a new um, outpatient clinic, which the veterans clinic that exists now is probably 5,000 square feet and is right across from this fallow land. So we started to interface with the county and said, look, you know, these VHHP awards, we went to a, uh, uh, a, a, a colleague and friend of mine that is the um, 
county's lead on homelessness, Adam Chesh, um, is we went to this um, veterans homelessness event in Oakland and started to talk to people. And we, we listened to CalVed and HCD, which is Housing and Community Development in California, talking about this um, VHHP program and their ability to spin up, you know, a portion of the capital stack to do veterans housing. And we're like, listen, we're driving back in the car and say, you know, this has got to happen. So we started to interface with the county and uh, we were interested in this property, uh, which is adjacent to, to some property we, we have now and said, look, you know, what is the interest level around homeless veterans? And uh, Monica Nito is the county administrator and, and Adam Cheshire and, and, uh, and all the folks with the county saying, look, this we are in. And um, we uh, got an option on the property, uh, applied for VHHP uh, last must have been, yeah, it must have been early in the spring and uh, got an award. Our, uh, no, I can get back. We applied in the fall of last year, got an award this spring, applied for tax credits in July, had a good tiebreaker in California, which is very objective how they award tax credits, had good math, had a lot of local leverage, and we have a winner. So we, unlike projects that always crack me up that uh, somebody should investigate, if it takes you 10 years to get to critical mass, you know, maybe those those partnerships should should be more fleshed out. But um, listen, we we uh, we we've done this in in really the space of a year, and we're going to break ground um, in uh, before April and and start construction immediately. So, forty nine units uh, permanent supportive housing, uh, forty three units of VASH, and five units of regular housing choice vouchers for the non VASH eligible veteran, which is important to us. We have a service provider, Life Steps, as well as the VA uh, as our, as our um, service providers. We're going to have about a 5,000 square foot community building uh, on the property. And, you know, the, as I said to you, as the uh, steel is going up right now for the veterans clinic, um, there is a logical place for people that need veterans administration resources um, to have a close, close walking situation with this clinic. And this will be new construction, one bedroom, two story, um, balconies. Uh, we're just super excited. It's outside of, it's in a more rural setting that's um, sort of a little bit different than the hustle and bustle of, of, uh, of Stockton, uh, where most homeless veterans are probably living. And, you know, there's uh, programmatically a nexus to say, look, we want to get um, veterans stable. Uh, follow housing first principles and get people into units and then deliver those those case management and uh and self-sufficiency uh needs but ultimately the beautiful thing about the program is because uh the housing authority is involved um when and normally uh funding is available for someone to request a tenant-based voucher and move on so you know we we have this relationship to this population uh we care about veterans and uh, we have folks that have advocated for a dedicated veterans project for years and we're we're so happy to be at uh with a timeline to get to the closing table and look i mean i make the argument that every affordable project in california needs to be built but in our case um and we have partners every one of the deals that uh that we are doing uh because of it takes time to build up experience points in california to get tax credits every transaction that we're doing we have partners and uh, we've done the, our, our partner in this project, uh, DFA Development out of Stockton, and they do 
they do work up and down California and Hawaii. Um, we originally collaborated in 2015 on a project in Manteca, California, which is a 48-unit senior, which is um, just completing. It will occupy next month. And uh, we did a downtown Stockton project around artist lofts. And uh, Chris Flaherty is my partner, and um, he gets it, and it's a population he cares about, too. So we work together, and uh, the expertise they bring, the expertise we bring, the resources we work uh, to secure collaboratively, um, it's a winner. And, you know, we get a like-minded partner, and uh, we, get after, um, we get after the construction, and this will be our, our, our third transaction together. And as the housing authority in San Joaquin County, um, you know, it gets to its its full experience points. This is the fifth deal. Um, I had my anniversary uh, a couple of days ago as, as my uh, my my fifth year here. And uh, we've we've uh, we've gotten five awards, five tax credit awards in those years. And um, uh, we're just super excited to do uh, a special needs project. And, you know. The relationship around uh, the VA folks who we've worked with, we hosted for years uh, the VASH outreach team at our offices because we don't want people to have to know, hey, where can I talk to the, to, to the VA about VASH? We'll do it. Come on our property, you know, and we want to make sure that the resources are there that we have. Uh, and if somebody needs something, we have our people and the VA people. And it's that collaboration that I think really um, has moved the numbers up. I'm not happy that our penetration in VASH has declined because we simply are, are struggling with rising rents. But rather than continue to struggle with rising rents, um, we, we uh, want to control our own destiny and, and uh, build an affordable project. So we're super excited. Um, we have high, high quality partners. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we are going to get to the closing table uh, February, March and start construction immediately. Wow. I mean, that's so impressive that you said that you're able to line up most of the stuff and get the ball rolling within a span of about a year. Anything less than three years, I feel like it's just, that's it's really fast. Speed. It's lightning speed. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I'll tell you something, you know, having the county as our partner, and listen, this project would not happen without the county of San Joaquin. They donated four and a half acres of property. We only need about two and a half for the first phase. So there's an opportunity to do a second phase if, if conditions demand it. But without that property, it was a non-starter. I mean, that is the reality. And you talk about partnerships, government to government. I mean, you know, um, I don't mind being treated like an affordable developer, which is what one of the hats I wear. But uh, we're transparent. I mean, yes, we're going to earn a developer's fee. But, hey, we're putting money at risk. We're, we're cutting all the checks for pre-development. I mean, it's expensive to do affordable development. But the bottom line is, is that, um, hey, you know, we want to do a phase two. Maybe we want to do a project in, a, in another part of uh, another part of San Joaquin County, and that developer fee we earns allows us to acquire property in the South County, as an example. So, you know, we have a unique model where we can recycle, you know, that income, keep talented folks uh, on the payroll. My deputy is a civil engineer. Um, you know, it's ironic that uh, I have a finance background and um, uh, he was the right guy at the right place. He was here when I got here. But I mean, we are doing projects with County Behavioral Health. We are doing projects. Uh, we're doing manufactured housing with Stockton Shelter for the Homeless. Now, again, all of these units are going to have our same veterans preference. It's not going to be exclusively veterans. But when we bring folks in through the voucher program, those same preferences apply. So a veteran who's in the Stockton uh, um, 
Stockton Shelter for the Homeless Veterans Bubble, hey, when they apply for that person and refer, that vet is going to get a leg up. And, you know, we, I don't want to give anyone the impression that we are solving all the problems. We are going to be part of the solution. But what I do know is that I think it's a, it's a unique organization to be entrepreneurial in government that rather than sit on our hands and say, well, gee, doesn't it stink that the uh, vouchers don't, don't lease up and, you know, rents are too high and, and we're, we're being passive, we're actively being part of the solution. And I, will I would contend that there are uh, really smart people and housing authorities nationally that when people want to do projects and they come and interface, they're going to find a willing and eager partner. And um, they might be surprised that the resources and talent that can be brought to bear on this issue, um, you know, given the right, given, given the right, uh, right circumstances. And I think that there isn't anyone that runs VASH uh, nationally that does not want to see veterans help. There's nothing worse than getting those phone calls to say, hey, can I have an extension, you know, on my, on my uh, voucher because I can't lease up. It's heartbreaking. So I want to break down the financing, but first, you said it's going to be built on county land. If the donation wasn't made, um, the project could have not, you know, come to be. So was this something that was like, I guess, agreed upon behind closed doors? Was this something that was put out to the public? Like, hey, we have this land. Who wants to build on it? Was this something you guys had just been eyeballing? Like, how did you guys come to ultimately, I guess, contract for this land? Sure. You know, we approached the county and um, said, look, you know, we under this very specific purposes of veterans housing, we will pursue these complimentary applications if you can find some property that um, you're interested in partnering with us on. Fallow land, they agreed, they gave us an option. The option is only exercised if the applications, you know, come to pass. So we approached the county, they agreed. Um, we applied for competitive funding around CDBG and home and received it as part of their regular NOPA process. So the land, um, no one else had approached them on this on this particular um, topic. And as as I said, the uh, Board of Supervisors in San Joaquin County uh, had set a date to try and, and eradicate veterans homelessness. So the argument was, you know, that was sort of the mandate. And um, uh, the county really loses nothing uh, if if the option is never exercised because we don't get to uh, an award for um, VHHP and uh, and tax credits. So, um, yeah, that was it, it was a little bit on spec on all our parts. But um, the housing authority is has been writing checks uh, uh, to for our pre-development expenses, uh, environmentals, surveys, all those types of things, uh, you know, to, to get to um, an application. And, and, you know, there is expense and risk. And, uh, you know, we could have found for any number of reasons the project was infeasible, but uh, we felt there was a good location and um, uh, the state uh, agreed with us twice. So we're really excited about it. So I know our listeners will be somewhat familiar with VHHP because we've had a couple of other California projects. Okay. CDPG and Home, I know, is is not unique to California, and it's something available in most communities and definitely, um, you know, through a competitive application process. Is there anything that the county of San Joaquin or that you know of in, in maybe the city that you guys have um, – sort of pre-decided that CDBG and home would be focused towards stuff like this? Or is it is it a matter of this kind of project, affordable housing, permanent supportive housing project versus multitude of other housing um, services or community development projects? Or 
Such a good question. And um, so I'm going to give this, I'm going to preface it with, of course, this is in my opinion. But I believe, uh, unlike New York, where the allocation of tax credits was a bit murkier than it is in California, incredibly objective. They do math, they publish the, the, um, the requirements, they do the math based on your, on your resources and local match, they pick winners and losers. So people know exactly where they stand, right? I would encourage uh, the cities and county to do the same process. Let's do objective scoring to find out. Now, you can set your preferences wherever you want. If you say, look, you know, we believe that uh, we need to do senior housing and that is our priority. And we are going to you can apply to do, you know, uh, large family units. We're interested in senior and we're going to rate accordingly. And we are going to do math to say developer A that's got these resources, developer B that's got those resources or the location or whatever criteria objective criteria that uh, they would like to pick, at least let us compete transparently. That's always where I feel um, that would let the most feasible projects rise to the top. Like you said, three years is fast. So I'm saying to you, you know, two years is incredibly fast, but I'm saying to you, when you have projects that sit five, seven, eight years, I mean, wouldn't somebody say, gee, wh why is this an issue? What was the thinking, uh, or better yet, after that length of time, do projects get scaled back? I believe, because of the profit motive involved, in many cases, there isn't people overpromise and underdeliver. So I would turn around and say, let's have the most transparent math we can. Um, again, every community, just like I do, and you talk about our, our, our project-based voucher, we've, we've um, issued seven um, project-based voucher contracts on property we don't own. But we go out and we put that priority um, at our discretion. That's the discretion HUD gives the housing authorities to say, well, hey, we'd like vouchers in five years. Well, what do I do? Tie up, have to obligate to make sure that money will be available when I have people that need service today. So, you know, we get to make those qualitative calls just like other, you know, HUD entitlement funds and jurisdictions make those calls. Because, again, um, we are in the public policy business of putting people into roofs. We're a housing agency, right? So we're not a finance agency. So sometimes people look at those resources and say, hey, why don't you just you know, throw this my way and I can get it done? Well, let's have that conversation about what, what priorities are for voucher administrators. And maybe they might say, you know, I don't have VASH, but I've got mainstream vouchers, or really I'd like to do a foster youth project. I'm not saying to you veterans don't deserve preference. I'm just explaining that I believe each community has an opportunity to have that discretion to meet their housing needs. We can't assume that, um, uh, that uh, you know, a, a, a for-profit developer or a private developer that's going to earn a fee always has the best interest in heart. They, they want to get to the closing table, get it built, and move on to the next deal. I totally understand that. That's my business too. But let's at least be transparent and honest about it. Right. Well, that's an interesting point, though, too, because the county, like the way we might appeal to people who manage CDBG or home, whether it be the county or the city or, you know, whoever we're going to and applying for these sort of fundings, they we have to keep in mind that they set their preferences prior to your application. But if the project's not good, then it might still win funding is essentially what I'm hearing. Yeah, well, um, what if a project gets an award based on no objective criteria because they like right. who's asking and the thing sits there for eight years? I mean, right. I, I, I qualitatively say that money is not being put to good use if it's sitting idle. I'm, and the other thing is that I would make the argument 
that you can't take a million dollars, dice it up among 10 projects and get anyone at the closing table. I think right. unfortunately to get units built, you have to pick winners and losers. Now, if you do that objectively and transparently, I think people will respect the process. If you don't, and based on who asked or when they asked or whatever criteria is you know, mysterious, then I think people lose trust in the process. Right. Well, I think that's well said too, especially with the concern for affordable housing and like we need units now, the crisis is here. It's so apparent. Do you not see what's going on with like the health concerns surrounding COVID and everything like pushing projects along that are further in the process? Definitely, I think, makes for a good use of funding all around. Um, I guess in closing, and you've made a lot of really great points of how housing authorities can be developers and, you know, they can sort of take on projects almost better than than maybe other developers. If they I know. would say better. There's a lot of talented people. <laughs> what I am saying is we're as, we are as good. Let's put it that right. way. Right. You're competitive. Yes. So, so my question, I guess, would be in closing, is there any other points that you think we should be focusing on to make projects like this easier to develop with the idea in mind that not every housing authority is as forward thinking and as active as y'all might be. Um, is there any points that I guess people advocating for this issue or people that are involved in other parts of the process, funders, um, policymakers, what can be done to make projects like this easier to complete? Great question. I would say this. There absolutely is. Um, there's a uh, there's a deal broker. There's a um, What's the word I'm looking for? There's a matchmaker, right? That uh, organizations like yours can be in, in, in deals and in communities, right? So the national advocacy is outstanding. I mean, one of the things, and you and I both had, had talked about this around discharge status in the Nash, very much on my mind. And honestly, it's on my mind now, even before we break ground, because ultimately, I, I had to guess and meet the program requirements for VHHP and make the VA happy to say, look, what is the relationship between the number of VASH, the number of regular housing choice vouchers? Because what's interesting is I have to provide services per the VHHP requirements to those five units of non-VASH tenants. Mm -hmm. I have to have money to do it. So what we're saying is, if, the v, if I have to pay a, a master's level social worker because I want to do half and half, the project doesn't cash flow enough to have that level of staff. Because the VA uh, provides the wraparound services to VASH, I don't have to pay for it. So we have to pay for plenty, right? But here's a perfect example. What if I said to you, well, look, you know, in our jurisdiction, we know that there's 100 unsheltered veterans, but 50 of them are not VASH eligible. How do, what do we do about them? Well, I'm sure you can have your, your VHHP money, but then you have to have a project that has enough money to spin off to provide uh, a social worker in a meaningful way for case management. Well, someone's going to have to figure that out. Maybe that's the relationship around philanthropy and CDBG and home, and everyone gets to the table and contributes their resources to come up with the best project. Because candidly, um, as far as the equity investor is concerned, I have to occupy those units. Now, I know in California, I'm going to be able to find enough VASH eligible vets to fill up the building. It's only 49, 48 units with a manager's unit to get to 49. But I have to be honest, I want to serve veterans in, in San Joaquin County first, but this was the best deal I could strike. So if 
and I happen to know, you know, we have, we, we, I sit on the COC board and, and we have strong relationships with the HMS lead and we understand what these numbers are, but, and I think we can do it. But if you said to me, what, are, what about phase two? Well, what about phase two? Maybe we have, you know, again, homeless veterans um, or veterans in shelters that just can't get to critical mass with VASH. Well, if VHHP requires that robust case management, then I'm sort of stuck. These are the types of conversations that I think need to happen to get, as you, as you said, to get more projects built and get them off the ground. You got to get the right people in the room. And I absolutely believe that there's a role for veterans advocates to have those conversations with all of those sort of constituencies that might get, you know, deals to critical mass and the right deal with the right partners with the right population. Right. Well, I think it's such a great point, and you've made it throughout the interview is that. Sometimes we sort of think of like homeless veterans, okay, VASH is the answer, or a homeless veteran, okay, transitional housing is the answer, and then what do we do after that? But it's so important to think that, you know, some veterans qualify for different services, some veterans qualify for different housing, um, and if we truly want to end veteran homelessness, we have to be able to provide housing for all those different types of people, sure. um, whether it be short-term, long-term, supportive, non-supportive, um, BA eligible, non-BA eligible, it's you know, it's multiple different types of people. They're all individuals and you have to have all these kind of options in place or the community really can't get to that functional zero and truly in veteran homelessness. So I think that is a great. And point. the last thing I want to say, because you got me thinking about it, is mm -hmm. that I believe there is and I I can say this for two reasons. A, uh, even as I talk about where my other hat about the preservation around public housing, there are communities and jurisdictions nationally that have a set aside for housing authorities to get complementary financing to reposition their public housing. I could make the same argument around veterans, that if you really want to get to functional zero and you want to serve veterans and you want to get VASH vouchers utilized, well, you could always do a set aside. So um, that's those are the types of public policy issues. I mean, it's not something I can say because, again, I, I, I'm, I'm the VASH administrator. If I say, hey, support VASH, it looks self-interested, right? But I mean... Um, I would make the argument that, um, you know, HUD could fully fund VASH with a separate allocation, don't count it as part of our regular budget authority, but fully fund VASH uh, um, off, off our regular um, renewal process. That would be one thing. And secondly, they could set a preference around uh, CDBG and home as a certain amount of, of those funds, which are highly oversubscribed. And I know people might criticize that, you know, there's, there's, there's so much need. But there could be a set aside uh, for veterans, veterans projects. And, you know, it'd be an interesting experiment to say, you know, with, whether or not um, that would actually translate to more units being built. It, it crosses my mind. Definitely food for thought and good points. I'm going to run with that. And I'm going right. to hope everybody else listening, take these ideas to your communities. Um, and definitely NCHB is actively pursuing several of these avenues that you've mentioned. And it's just nice to hear, I guess, that other people out there are thinking that same way and, you know, providing housing for all different types of veterans. I definitely want to start by saying thank you so much to Peter Ragsdale from the Housing Authority for participating. I was so excited to share this information with you guys, but I know it's a lot to take in. So first and foremost, I want to let it marinate a little bit that all these resources you've been hearing thrown around throughout this series including the low-income housing tax credit, state-level funding, CDBG, home, um, could all be made more available for veterans affordable housing. 
by being preferenced and then outlined through set-asides. Also, this landlord incentive idea can be further supported at a local level and funded at a local level. Um, and they can help not only veteran voucher holders find housing, but also housing authorities and landlords. Um, we've been saying it a lot, but it's it's time to challenge you all to take this information to your communities and question authority and also the processes you're seeing take place. Um, we need to be partnering, but we also need to be advocating and pointing out these opportunities, which can lead to more units, but also better access to existing housing options. We've talked a little bit about local support um, and some unique um, funding available in different communities for veteran housing development throughout this series, but um, we need local funding in place to further leverage federal resources. That is no secret. Um, One point I wanted to remind you all that he mentions the county contribution and support um, and how this project wouldn't be possible without the county's land. So we need to be identifying funding opportunities, but also um, opportunities like this in our own communities. Does this partnership or opportunity exist? If so, where? Um, where does the county maybe own land or existing affordable housing that they might be considering redeveloping or developing for the first time? One final point I want to be thinking about, and I want you guys all to be thinking about too, is if there's a way to create more transparent ways to award funding, how can we help with this? How can this change also help with development timelines? We need to be advocating for these types of changes, um, not only because we would be able to see projects be completed faster, but also the highest quality projects would ultimately win. Anyways, you guys, if you want to learn more about the Housing Authority um, and also the project we talked about today, I encourage you all to check out um, the Housing Authority of San Joaquin's website at hacsj.org. You can check out the Victory Gardens property there as well. Just want to thank you guys so much for joining us this week. If you're curious about this episode or want to learn more about the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans, visit nchv.org or search NCHV on social media. The road home may be a long and winding one. However, the journey ends once every veteran has a permanent, stable, and affordable place to call home. Thank you again and see you all next week.